counterintuitive, you're amazing, you say things that seem upside down, but in reality, they're right side up. And uh, we just thank you for the life that's offered in a counterintuitive reality that this world is blind to, uh, that you have brought us into. And so we just thank you. Help us not to slip back into the way of the world and the processing of the world, and help us to just stay in the reality of the kingdom of God. And we just uh, thank you for this passage this morning. Help me. Uh, Holy Spirit, it does. It takes, even for believers, it, as we kind of get reoriented around your word, passages like today, the world's going to hate you, you're going to be persecuted. Uh, we need wisdom to understand those passages and grace to receive them with a heart full of joy, not with a heart full of lamentation or, or sorrow, but a heart full of joy. Um, and uh, so help us this morning. I trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to do something unique. I'm going to read the first three verses of John chapter 15 in our passage today. And then I'm going to flip over and just read a couple verses at the end of chapter, chapter 20. And I want you to see that these two things are not at odds. These two, two things are not at odds. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you... Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I had said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Persecution, the hatred of the world, and life in Jesus' name are not at odds. They are not at odds. And we're going to see that here this morning. The world is not going to like you. The ethos, the way of the world is interesting. It's different than what we would think it would be, but the way of the world, the ethos of the world is people praise. Now let me explain. It did not used to be this way. The world used to be out there a more critical place, at least externally, than it is an affirming place. But now, today, out there in the workplace, on, in, in the media, in the schools, wherever you may go, flamboyant affirmation of everything is now the way of the world. Be positive, avoid negativity. The world affirms everything and everyone except those who believe in an absolute moral truth. So affirm everything and everyone except those who believe in an absolute moral truth. As soon as you say something's wrong not just for me, but for you, you're looked at as a bigot. If we would just go along with the world and affirm everything and approve everyone and never be negative and never say something is sin, the world would love us. But there's a turn. Truth in our society is now hate speech. Truth in our society is hate speech. We should not be surprised. We really shouldn't be surprised. God has spoken. We should not be embarrassed by, by what He says, even in passages like this today. 
But we shouldn't be surprised that truth is hate speech. Jesus told us the world would hate us. So when any opposition comes to a Christian who believes in a moral truth, we should not be surprised. We should expect this. It should be the norm. This is the way it's always been. Those who hold to a truth believe in right and wrong. The world is going to be on a collision course with them. And they're not going to like what they have to say. It's not surprising the way our country is right now. Or this world is right now. Because Jesus told us it would be like this. Why do we act surprised when the world is the way Jesus says the world will be? <gasps> they don't like Christians? They don't believe in truth? They don't like when somebody believes something's wrong for everyone? <gasps> well, Jesus told us that would be the case. There should not be a shock and awe. The shock and awe would be as if they somehow accepted it. Not as if the world reject, reject it. Verse 18 and 19, if the world hates you, excuse me, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, it needs to be said that verse 18 starts with the word if, if the world hates you. It is true that in times and places there, are, there is lesser and greater persecution. Uh, we know this. Right now in our country, we don't receive persecution. In, minimally, we do. But we are not being martyred because of our faith. Praise be to God. Thank God. We should enjoy that. We shouldn't feel bad about that. Uh, we live in a society and a world still where we can hold services like this. And it's not like our friends in other places of the world, our two friends that were here with us last week, where persecution is literally right outside your door. Where the threat of death, if the word missionary gets out, the threat of death can come upon you. It's not like that here. We, we don't experience persecution in the same way the original hearers, the apostles, who are listening in that upper room, heard about persecution and the ever-present reality that was coming for them. We don't experience it like that right now. So there are times when hatred of Christians and hatred of the truth, when the world hates us less, and then there are times that the world hates, hates us more. For instance, it's estimated that in 2016, there were 90,000 Christian martyrs across the world. 90,000. Most of those, almost a third, came out of Nigeria. Nigeria being the epicenter in 2016 of martyrdom. Christian world, but Christians to this day are still the most martyred religion around the globe every year, year after year after year. It's not the case here, but for the norm of Christianity as a whole, if we can, if we can get out of right now, and if we can not be nationalistically centric, and if we can think global for a second, what's normal is not what we experience, it's what they experience. What's normal in the Christian faith is what they experience, not what we experience. We face very little persecution. However, there is a rise, I think objectively anyways, of hatred for anyone who affirms this moral truth. The teachings of Jesus are not wildly popular in polite society 2018. Jesus saying there's only one way. Used to be celebrated in our country, even outside of the church. The tides have turned. Where the belief in one God, the belief 
of one way to that God through Jesus Christ is not accepted. Jesus' words are not popular today. Jesus tells us when we experience any sort of hate, any sort of persecution, any sort of resistance, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus tells us, consider how the world hated me first. Jesus came into the world and the world hated him. He just says it. They hate me without a cause. Not because of sins I've done, because of lack of sin. Because of telling the truth, I'm hated by this world. He gets killed, murdered because of it. The world loves its own. Now this is interesting because we think the world, we say the dog-eat-dog world out there. And in fact, there is in some sense a dog-eat-dog world in the business world, in the business sector, and just places out there. But the world loves its own. It's what it says. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. There is a love in the mess of humanity that says, if you will affirm everything about me, I will affirm everything about you. If you will not address anything that's wrong in my life, even defining love in this way, if you love me, you'll affirm everything about me. And friends, that's actually hatred. That's not love. Any person who goes to another and says, never say anything to me, never call me out on anything, only affirm me all the time, forever, the rest of my life, you are asking people to hate you. And yet that's how the world has defined love. The world loves itself. The way of the world, when we think about the world and we kind of try to put a definition to it, because it's kind of complicated in the Bible, because Jesus said, for God so loved the world, and then in 1 John we're told, do not love the world or anything in it. And this world, the term the world is kind of a complicated, convoluted mess. We need to kind of unmessy it a little bit. And so when we talk about the world today, here's what we're talking about. The world is the way in which people try to live and exist independent from God. So the schemes of the world the systems of the world, living in such a way that God doesn't exist. We've got this. We're going to figure it out. We are our own determiners of truth. This is the way of the world. This is the world that Jesus is talking about. The world watches out for itself. You don't tell me I'm wrong. I won't tell you you're wrong. But Jesus chose a group of people out of that world, and therefore the world recognizes you are not with us. Because to be with Jesus means to affirm what Jesus says. And to be with Jesus means to submit your lives to Him. To be with Jesus means to give Him authority over your life and recognize, rather, His authority over your life. To recognize that I'm not independent. The world functions as if they're independent and I'm coming to the Lord and saying, I'm not independent. I'm dependent upon you, Jesus. And Jesus, what you say goes. And if you have opinions about marriage and sexuality, I'm going to agree with you. And if you have opinions about the word of God, I'm going to agree with you. And Jesus, if you say my life is not my own, my body is not my own, then Jesus, I'm going to agree with you. And those are things this world does not want to agree with Jesus about. The world believes their body is their own. Their sexuality is their own. 
Marriage is their own. Life, truth, right and wrong is their own. People speak in this way. What is your truth? You ever heard that before? Ian, I bet you've heard that on college campus. What's your truth? Speak your truth. That's the way of the world. And Jesus says that I chose you out of that. You're not going to live in that way. And the world's going to look back to those who live differently than itself. And they're going to feel something inside. And it's not going to be warm kisses, butterflies, affection. It's going to be this thing Jesus calls hatred. They're not going to like it. He says because they don't like it, they're going to do something about it. Look at verse 20 and 21. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Because they hate you, because they don't like you, they're going to persecute you. Now, I love Jesus' message. is like the, the, the opposite message that you would preach if you want followers. I promise you're going to be persecuted and the world's going to hate you. Come follow me. I'm going to send around a sign-up sheet. Anybody who wants to sign up for that, come on. Let's go. But it's coming. They're sitting in the upper room, the disciples, hanging on every word. They're going to hate you. Because of that, they're going to persecute you. When we think persecution, we immediately think execution. But persecution is broader than beatings, although it does include that. Persecution and suffering in the scripture work hand in hand. There are some nuances to it. But persecute, in this sense, means to pursue in haste or press forward or systematically oppress and harass a group of people. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, it's going like, to be like waterboarding. It's just not going to stop. They're going to keep coming. They're never going to like this message. The world is always going to hate you, and you will always be oppressed. There will always be opposition. The enemy hates you, the flesh hates you, and the world hates you. Welcome to a life of difficulty. Now, remember, it's not at odds with the whole point of the book of John is that by believing these things, and by believing, you may have life in his name. These are not at odds. Joy, life, in the midst of persecution, oppression, people pressing in against you. Jesus just says it plainly. It's coming. They will persecute you. Now, to be sure, Jesus suffered in your place, experienced persecution for you at the hand of God. God himself inflicting his wrath on his very son in your place so that you would never receive the judgment of God. You need to know that. He suffered and died in your place at the hand of his heavenly father who inflicted his wrath upon the son instead of inflicting it on you. That's the gospel. So you'll never receive judgment from God. But Jesus' suffering in this world, however, was not in your place. Meaning, Jesus offers this as an example. He's not doing this so you will never experience it. He's saying, I'm experiencing it, it and you will too. 
Meaning the world hating Jesus does not exempt us from being hated by the world. He says the exact opposite. Jesus suffering and dying us, dying in our place, in the place of sinners. For those who are in Christ, Jesus' death in our place secures the fact that we will never be judged by the Father. That our judgment was at the cross. But his, his life, Jesus' life, was an example, and we should expect the same from the world. And the apostles knew this. They understood this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, here's what the Apostle Peter says. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, this would qualify as persecution, you endure? So he's saying, what, what's the, if, if you sin and you're beaten for it, well, that's, duh. Corporal, the Bible is not anti-corporal punishment or even, uh, anyway, we don't need to go there. But if you're beaten for that and if you endure, what good is it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you may follow in his steps. Now, isn't that weird? Christ's example. I asked a mentor of mine one time this Okay, it seems like this example that I'm supposed to go out and look for suffering. I don't want to go out and look for suffering. It's like, Greg, what's this mean? It was my mentor, Greg. And he's like, hey, listen, in in a world that, that is cushioned like we live in today, he said, consider this. The Christian should always be looking for it, not for themselves, but running into it. Because there are suffering people around you all the time. And what he talked to me specifically about was in ministry. He said, Jared, you're going to be running into suffering all the time. And your call is to walk into the friends and family that you have that are in difficulty. You're going to have to invite yourself into their suffering. Jesus, he lived this example for you, that we would walk in it. This isn't that we would go look for suffering to come upon us. God brings suffering to me. In any way, we we should never ask or pray for that. But we should be looking to, where am I going to invite ourselves into it? To help, to say, you, if, if you have no other shoulder to cry on, you can cry on mine. If you have nobody else who will listen to you weep, I will listen to you weep. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, these apostles mirror this whole joy and persecution thing and show that it is not at odds. I want you to listen to the insanity, the joyful insanity that is the Christian life in the life of the apostles. Acts 5, verse 40 and 41. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. They beat them. In the very next verse, in the very next verse, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. <laughs> what kind of an existence is that, that we can be the kind of people, these apostles were the kind of people who get beat, and they walk out, Woo! Yes! Thank you, Jesus! You counted us worthy for this! <laughs> what? Persecution, suffering, joy, hatred of the world, hating you, and joy are not at odds. Feels like they are, but they're not. 
The church will always be a prophetic voice committed to the truth. Truth confronts people and calls them to account before God. One of Billy Graham's most famous sermon was The Offense of the Cross. And Billy Graham, in his Billy Graham way, he looks right at that crowd and he says, The reason the cross is an offense because it says to the world, You're a sinner. He was right. The church cannot rightly preach. We cannot rightly preach Christ without first preaching the law. The needle of this law precedes the thread of the gospel. If people don't know how much they've sinned against God, the gospel of Jesus will never be loved. If you don't know the depths of what your sin was, the gospel of grace will never be that sweet to you. It simply won't. If you don't know the depth of human rebellion and the magnitude of the cross of Christ, grace will just be something that people continue to talk about and it just sounds kind of nice to you while you watch them weep about it. You're like... This is what the law of God, the holiness of God, does in people. It either sends them running with anger and hatred... Or it drives them to the cross of Christ to find relief and salvation and help and joy. For the believer, the law drove us to Jesus for salvation. But for others, the truth is hate speech and they hate him and us for it. So this is what the law does. It either enrages or it crushes people and drives them to Jesus. The world does not and will not and will never like a message that says you deserve a cross and hell itself. They won't ever love that message. Even when they hear God loves sinners. It won't be liked. And because they hate you, they persecute you. Because they persecute you... They persecute you because they hate Jesus. Look at verse 22. Why does the persecution come? It comes because they hate Jesus. If they had not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now this is interesting because in 22 and in 24 you get an interesting thing where it says they would be without sin. They would, have, they would not be guilty of sin. And then again in 24 they would not be guilty of sin if Jesus had not come. And the immediate question that you have is, well Jesus, why would you come then? But that's not at first glance what this is meaning. The key to understanding what this passage is meaning is in verse 20, 24. The sin of hating both Jesus and the Father is what Jesus is saying to them. Look at verse 24. If I had done these things among the, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. What Jesus is saying, if I came and did these signs, all these things, or if I didn't even come, they would not be guilty of hating me or my father. They wouldn't have been able to be guilty of that. But Jesus did come, 
and they do hate him and his father, so they are guilty of the sin of hating Jesus and the father. And because they hate Jesus and because they hate the father, they're going to hate you as well. Because they hate Jesus and because they hate the Father, they're going to hate you as well. We will be persecuted because the world hates Jesus and they will hate you too. May they, like Jesus, if they hate us, hate us without a cause. If persecution comes our way, may it not be because we are jerks. Because we are intentionally offensive. That is not the goal. We want people to know the love of God, not the annoyance of ourselves. The hatred that came Jesus' way, he didn't earn. They hated him without a cause. But is there any help for us? Are we left to be persecuted and suffer with no help? Well, I'm incredibly glad that you've asked the question because I've been wanting to ask this whole sermon, this question. You just beat me to it. Is there any help for us? Are we left to be persecuted and suffer with no help? No, we're not. There's a helper coming. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, and we're going to dive into this more next week. The Holy Spirit is coming, and He's coming to help. We won't be left alone. This message isn't, you're going to suffer, the world's going to hate you, and you're going to be alone. The world hated me. The world's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted, but you will not be alone. When persecution comes, the helper helps us to bear witness about Jesus. The helper helps us to come and show the world, come pain, come persecution, come tyranny, come bad political rule. If we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. We skip down the road like those apostles who had been persecuted for the name of Christ. And we keep proclaiming Christ. We look to the pro-council. We look to the naysayers. We look to the world who hates us. And we say back to them, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that even though you have sinned against God, that he came and he's sending me to tell you about the love of God? Do you know if you don't know Jesus, you're going to die and you will be separated from him and you will experience hell? If we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to help us in this. Help us not to forget Jesus. And then in verse, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. I'll tell you this, it would have been a hard thing to hear apart from this helper who's going to come, the words that Jesus just spoke in the upper room. But Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you'll hear the helper, I'm telling you the helper's coming. And if you'll get this, if you'll know this, it's going to help you from falling away. He doesn't want them to. 
We talked about this last week. If you don't stay, abide in Him, stay with Him, there is no hope of heaven if you walk away from Jesus. And I can imagine in that upper room hearing these words, being confused, being upset. This isn't ending how I think it's going to end. I'm confused here of what's going on, Jesus. You should be ruling right now as king, and I should be living with wealth and riches and prominence and prestige because I'm one of the twelve. Why don't you take over this place? Why don't you just go ahead and overthrow Rome? Why don't you just boot out these enemies? We can reestablish the kingdom of God here on this earth. And instead of being persecuted, Jesus, why don't you kind of pull some chains here and make some things work our way? And we're one of the twelve. We're in with you. Don't tell us that we're going to be persecuted like you have been persecuted. That we're going to be hated like you're going to be hated. We're in the in crowd, Jesus. And Jesus said, you're, you're not going to be alone in this. The helper's going to come. And he's going to remind you of these things. The Holy Spirit is coming. Don't fall away. People don't like hearing about persecution. It's just, it's just the sheer fact. I don't like hearing about it this morning. Nobody in here probably just likes hearing persecution and the world's hatred. This is not a fun thing for Jesus to talk about. Nobody gets giddy about passages like this. Hey, here's a promise from God. You're going to be persecuted. Hold on to that one. The world's going to hate you. Write that on a note card, fold it in half, and put it in your back pocket, and put it out in your rearview mirror just to remind yourself, hey, the world's going to hate you. Nobody holds on to these promises. But he says it. This is not a traditional way to build a following. It would have been, since you're in the inner crowd, here's how things are going to go well for you. If you're close to me, if you'll abide in me and stay with me, and be around me and follow me all the days of your life. You will have prestige in this community and power and affluence and money. You'll take over this place. Sign me up. It says the opposite. And he tells them all these things to keep them from falling away. To this day, people want to run when they hear about persecution. Jesus is saying... I don't want you to run. The Holy Spirit's coming. Hear this and don't run. The Holy Spirit's going to help you hear this and not run. There's always going to be people who want the easiest life possible. And they don't actually love Jesus. They just think Jesus will give them the most comfortable life to live. When persecution and suffering comes, they are shocked. Jesus is not giving me what I want. Ugh. Remember, Jesus gave you a promise. If you follow me, you will be persecuted. Now, there's an immediate context, and then there's a universal application context. Let's think immediate context. Immediate context is the disciples, the apostles. Look at verse 2 through 4. In chapter 16, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. When the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 
They will put you out of the synagogues. Here's the deal. You're not going to be put out of synagogues. There's an immediate context here for these apostles in this upper room. Jesus is warning them about something that is to come. Persecution is going to break forth. The temple gets destroyed in A.D. 70. The desolation of Jerusalem happens. Things in Jerusalem are bad. They get persecuted. They get booted out of the synagogue. Every single apostle except John is martyred. You will be killed by people who think they are honoring God. And Jesus told them in advance this would happen. He was preparing them. This is coming. This is coming, John. Peter, this is coming. Nathaniel, this is coming. Mary, Martha, this is coming for you. It's coming. But I, I want you to be prepared. I want you to know in advance. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. You're going to know what to say. You're going to have strength to endure. You're not going to fall away. People think they're offering service to God and they're honoring God and in fact they're fighting against Him. He told them in advance. Now, their universal application for us, we are not getting persecuted like this. We're not. Nobody here is getting persecuted like this. The persecution that we receive right now are online comments, things on the internet, the news, Christian bakers and those sorts of things, which is a real sense of persecution. Okay, That's a real sense of, uh, you know, there is no absolute truth except there is no absolute truth. And we're going to punish you for believing in an absolute truth. The, the irony in all this is uh, the insanity of our world right now is just so thick. We're not getting killed in our country. Yet. Yet. We're not getting thrown behind bars. Yet, here's what I want you to see based on this passage and based on global Christianity. The fact that we're not getting thrown into bars yet, behind bars, not into bars, behind, <laughs> thrown into bars. Get in that tavern. <laughs> you know, like, thrown behind bars. The fact that we're not getting martyred, that we're not getting killed. That should surprise us, the grace of that, where we live. That should surprise us. Because for most brothers and sisters who get up and read this book around this globe, their context is very similar to those apostles. And right outside that door, they get up to preach as they're going through the Gospel of John, and they know what this means. We should be shocked that we can gather here. We can say whatever we want. At least for now. That is not the norm. Normal Christian life around the globe is of persecution and suffering. So here's the preparation. Jesus prepared them. We should be prepared here. Not in fear. Because remember, joy is ours. These things are not at odds with joy. Walking and leaping and praising God. Deliverance is coming. Like joy and the things that Jesus is talking about walk hand in hand. They kind of hold hands and skip down the road. And countless myriads of Christians around the globe can testify who have suffered greatly. There is a joy that comes that's unexplainable. I can't explain it. 
But God brings it. The helper comes and reminds me not to run, not to fall away, but to follow Jesus. When persecution or suffering comes our way, we should not be surprised. Jesus told us it would happen. Rejoice and enjoy Jesus. What are you going to do otherwise? When it comes, don't be surprised. Oh, I didn't think this was happening. I didn't think this was going to come. Jesus told you it would. So rejoice and enjoy him in it. Rejoice. Fight for joy because Jesus said he tells us these things that your joy may be full in just a chapter before about abiding, staying in him. When it doesn't come our way, when we live like we live in this life, most of us right now, relatively easy and comfortable life, which I'm thankful for. How many people in here are thankful for com the comfort of air conditioning? My goodness. It's like hot in here. Like we go down 10 degrees. We should be thankful for that. Each day we're not put behind bars. God, thank you. Each day we're not killed. Each day that we're healthy. Each day that we have joy and the sun comes up and the sun goes down. We feel good that day. We should, God, thank you. Thank you. We take so many things for granted. But when it does not come our way, persecution or suffering, you know what we do? We rejoice and enjoy Jesus. When it comes, rejoice and enjoy Jesus. When those things don't come, rejoice and enjoy Jesus. It's a life of joy both ways. If you have Jesus, come whatever. I've got him. But may we settle it. May we settle it. This charge is before you. Team, you guys can come up. This charge is before us. May we settle it in our mind and in our heart. As we hear Jesus say this to you, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. There's a helper coming. You're going to be persecuted. Can we settle in our heart, kind of plant our flag in the ground, and internally say together, come what may. No matter what it is, come what may. If the world doesn't like me, if we are persecuted, if suffering comes our way, if things are hard, we will not run. Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. And Jesus, you tell me that, you know what I'm going to tell right back to you? I love you no matter what. Come hell or high water, no matter what comes tomorrow, I love you no matter what. And I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I love you. I know you've got me. All this is working for my good. There's nothing that could come your way. Nothing. That God is not working for your good. Nothing. There's nothing random coming to you. Nothing that's not coming to your way for your good. Nothing. So come whatever. We're not running. Jesus, we're with you. Save us. You don't know him. Save Jesus. Save somebody this morning. If you're in Christ, know that he loves you, that you're not left alone. No matter what comes, he will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. You are eternally kind. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus, these are hard sayings. To be honest, it just it doesn't appeal to my flesh at all. 
It doesn't sound good to my ears. That's why I need spiritual ears. That's why I need spiritual eyes. And I need, I need a new heart to hear these kind of things and say, hmm, okay, that's good. Jesus, I, all right. To be able to hear it. Father, just help us. Help us not to love the easy things in your world, word and not like the hard things. Help us to even just put ourselves in the upper room and just know Jesus is preparing. He's preparing us. So, Father, we just thank you for your kindness to us this morning. Thank you for where we live. Thank you that we don't face rampant persecution right now. We lift up our brothers and sisters around the globe who are having to meet in secret right now, whose family members have been killed, whose sons and daughters have been dragged in the streets and shot. Teenagers lined up in a line and asked, will you deny Christ? No. Shot in the head. There's just a heaviness about that. Even I said it. I'm like, oh gosh, it's heavy. Holy Spirit, just help us. I don't know what even to say now. Just help us.